Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. Welcome in for a seemingly early morning edition of the day after. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Tommy Ashley, this is Buck Sanders waiting on Jason Staples to get the gremlins out of his computer. Um, so we'll start like we always start. And shout out to the 250 plus folks that are in here. Our record's 800. I don't know if we'll get there today, but let's get as close as we can. And Sean Crawley doing my job in the chat. Hit the like button. It helps us out. And subscribe to Inside Carolina if you're not. Buck, I've seen plenty of Duke North Carolina football games. And uh, I've seen plenty of crazy Duke North Carolina football games. That kind of puts that one kind of put itself up there in the uh, in the pantheon of the rivalry. Overall thoughts? Yeah, <clears throat> I think you said it uh, exactly right, Tommy. The um, things that happened in that game, if you run through them, you know the uh, botched fair catch that led to a touchdown, um, the fake punt. The onside kick, um, all of those things, and, and coupled with two of the really strange things uh, that we almost never see in a UNC football game, they won as a 10-point home favorite. That's a, quite an achievement for the Tar Heels there. And they beat a third-string quarterback. Um, so those two things taken together, it was a great day for the Tar Heels. Uh Jason has joined us now. Jason, I was laughing at one point last night, um, you know, kind of insanely, thinking about how many bingo cards we filled up in that one game alone. Like, if you were playing football bingo, I've got a card game that's a football game, and you do certain things if something happens. Can't really talk about it on a Sunday morning, but it's one of those kind of games. I'd have run through the whole deck. (laughs) <laughs> probably not, and probably not seeing the end of the game. I mean, just how much can happen in one football game? We saw literally about everything last night. We really did, and you know what? If we what we ought to start doing is doing a bingo card based on a on the game plan podcast that we put together. It's like okay, expect to see, expect to see, expect to see, because virtually everything we said 
in the game plan podcast about what to wor- worry about and what was likely to happen, where you could take advantage of this and where they would probably take advantage of that. All that stuff happened too. <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, rivalry games are usually the games where you're going to, you're going to see some, something of everything or something, you know, close to, cause uh, those are kitchen sink games. Those are the games that you, you pull out all the stops and, and, uh, this was one of them, and and Duke definitely pulled out all the stops. I mean, I think Carolina played this game like it was a uh, in terms of the way that they that they coached it, it was basically they played it schematically and and you know in terms of attacking the the situations and all that basically the way they have all season. Duke did to some degree, but then Duke also added the fake punt and the and the uh, and the onside kick and all of that. So you could see, I mean, they, they, they put a little bit more into it and that on that side of things and, and took advantage of, of those things. I mean, without the, without the onside kick and without the fake punt, that game never gets to overtime, but that's why as a, as a coach, if you're Mike Elko, that's why you do those things in those situations. It's precisely why. And, uh, and, you know, hat tip to their staff because they were extremely well-prepared to take advantage of some of the stuff that Carolina presented. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to talk about um, what they were able to do against North Carolina, but Buck. Um, everything? Yeah. Whatever everything. they wanted the fourth quarter? you talking about a schemer's dream, Duke, what they were able to do against North Carolina. I mean, they literally schemed everything. And and Buck, to, like we talked about, North Carolina still managed to win. Amari and Hampton goes – Nuts again, 169. He had 31 carries. We wanted him to get more carries. Folks in the chat are saying he should have had 10, 5 to 10 more. That's pushing it a little bit. Of course, where they are on the field matters as well. Drake does Drake made things. Uh, but what's maybe one or two things that sort of off the top to get us rolling here that you saw that you actually liked other than the dub, as you say? I started to name this the dub because that's what Buck always texts after a game. But what did you when like? When there is a dub. When there is a dub, yeah. yeah. Uh, what stands out? Uh, let me see. You know, you talked about Drake already, but um, gosh, that kid, uh, back in the day, you'll remember this, Tommy, and Jason, you probably will too, but um, when Brett Favre was at his peak, Brett Favre, the passes that he would make were just unbelievable. I mean, he would just, you know, his ability to keep his eyes open and be alert for opportunities that have not yet presented themselves on the field but might, and and to see that and to act on it successfully the the shovel passes the off-platform throws the uh, the crazy things that Favre used to do to complete passes when under pressure or uh, in a certain situation that pass to to John Copenhaver in the end zone that's one of those things I mean he's scrambling he's running uh, he hasn't quite got to the line of scrimmage, but he's running with his head up and his eyes open, and he sees Copenhagen flash, and bam, he hits him. Um, and he does that over and over and over again. And I think that's what is going to make him such an outstanding pro. I mean, 
his stats are very impressive, uh, but his ability to make those kinds of throws that other people don't make but just because they don't see them, and he does, um, is what's going to make him special in the NFL, I think. I agree with you, Jason. You were nodding your head when with the far reference. Um, looking at what Drake did, and, and I like what Taylor Vipolis said after the game. He said, North Carolina's all-conference players drug the coaching staff across the finish line. <laughs> um, you know, what the, the play there at the end, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it uh, where North Carolina had to have it. I mean, you got to go for two. I don't know if I like the new overtime rules, but they had to have it. Um, you know, Drake makes a play. Elko went nuts about it, and I've got a screen grab I'm going to show here. I don't know if it'll get us in trouble, but Elko and his post guy. I love Mike Elko. I'll go ahead and say it. I'm a Mike Elko fan. Huge. Um, if that gets me in Probably trouble. Should, should, should be the next uh, coach at at, uh, at Texas A&M here uh, soon. Yeah. Uh, Carolina and, fans can only hope. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, Jimbo Fisher's agent is the most legendary agent ever to walk the earth <laughs> um, Jimbo Fisher being fired as early as today maybe the Elko train heats up but Elko said there were two North Carolina offensive linemen in the end zone three yards deep you can't miss that you can't miss that well I wanted to put it up on the screen and show it here Drake is throwing the ball he has just let it go and Willie Lampkin's got a foot in there Jason I saw your your comment or your tweet about it or, or our slack about it that's not a penalty, or is it? It well, doesn't matter. So I, that that particular screen grab, I think that's actually a good bit after the the throw. I think the ball's actually right around. The ball's right in here somewhere. He just let it go. Yeah, the ball the ball is the ball is just around um, where uh, the center is there. Yeah, it's right around the goal line. When the ball was actually released, Lampkin was actually another another step back. He had maybe a hand or, or part of an arm across the, uh, the goal line, which technically if any part of you is, is beyond the three yards from the line of scrimmage. Yes. Technically that's illegal man downfield. But if it's, if you know, all that's there is a hand or part of the arm, then no, you're that that's not, but the ball here, this is, this is actually a a split second after the ball's released. I've, I, 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 I freeze framed it when the ball was released uh, and it's, to me, it's a no call. Um, and look, I'm one who believes that the, the rule should be one yard. I don't think offensive linemen should be getting, you know, beyond one yard down the line of scrimmage and, and then the ball getting thrown up field. I, I think that's bad for the game. I think it's, it's, it's bad for, for defensive football. I think they need to change that rule and do what the NFL does with that. Even if they went to two yards, I'd be happier. But the way that the rule is and the way that it's enforced there's that's three yards and you know usually the officials give you just a touch of grace there at the three yard mark and this is the way the game is officiated pretty much across the board so i don't think that was a miss um now i do think there were there were some misses in this game um i I still can't believe they they didn't review the nesbitt play uh where he came down you know and, and there was a battle for the football I mean, they reviewed the Tez Walker situation where I don't think there was really a whole lot of question about that. He didn't step out at any point down the sideline, and I didn't think that was really even that was in question. Bizarre is what that was. And to spend as much time as they did on that was really strange. And it's then not to out. review the Nesbit, the Nesbit play, which 
I think that would have stood because joint possession, it, when the receiver hits the ground uh, you know, and, and is down, joint possession goes to the offense. And I think there was joint possession there, and I don't think there's really any way of, of, of establishing beyond doubt otherwise. But you have to review it. I mean, ACC officials and, you know, Flanagan's crew in particular, uh, you know, they, they've got a reputation for a reason. Whew. We'll leave it at that. One thing I do not hear, I do not hear people complaining about officials. It works both ways. North Carolina fans need to understand that it comes out in the wash. Um, and, and they Carolina, took got, t- Carolina got some beneficial stuff down the stretch. There was, there they, were letting of, them, uh, they were letting them play in the secondary pretty much all yep. game long. There yeah. are a couple of holds. There are a couple of you know really handsy plays in the secondary. There, there were yeah. there were a variety of things that that were allowed in this game, and I thought Carolina mostly benefited from it in this game. But you know that that, that kind of uh, that has not been the case all season in every game. So you know you you just deal with it. Yeah, I you know there's a lot of things I do not like. Um, I don't like laying down to stop tempo. I don't like things like that. But Complaining about the officials is for losers, quite frankly. I mean, Roy Williams always said good teams beat bad refs. If if you're worrying about an ACC official to bail you out, good luck. You're in but trouble, North, yeah. But North Carolina certainly had their options, Buck, uh, or their opportunities either way. Buck, uh, Ben Sherman, shout out to Ben for being up early this morning, getting the snap counts posted. Omarion Hampton, 91 snaps at running back. Drake made 95 total, and then it kind of goes from there. Tez Walker, 89. Um, I try to do these shows and try to pick out something other than the obvious, but it's kind of avoid. It's kind of hard to avoid talking about Omarion Hampton just being a monster. I mean, you've got Drake May, you've got Omarion Hampton. The offense puts up 49 points. Can we say anything else about this young man? About Omarion and Drake, and specifically Omarion here. I mean, he does everything you need a running back to do. Well, there, there's two things that's remarkable about that uh, snap count uh, piece that been put up regarding Hampton is uh, one Omarion Hampton himself and 91 plays is phenomenal because Duke does not play games where 90 plays were run now, good. some of those were in overtime. But in regulation, they were probably still in the you know, 80, uh, 75 to 80 or more uh, plays run in that game. Duke just doesn't do that. They play all of their games somewhere in the 60s. And I will say that I thought, particularly early on, North Carolina's use of tempo – bothered Duke a lot. Um, at one point, I think they had 20 players on the field when they snapped the, when UNC snapped the ball. It was like every, the whole Duke bench was on the field when uh, the Tar Heels snapped the ball. It, it was, uh, I thought they did a really good job, particularly early with tempo, but then I, somehow I think they got away from it. I didn't notice it as much down the stretch. I haven't you know, analyzed it to that extent. I need to watch the game again. But I think they got away from tempo a little bit because they were really giving Duke problems with uh, with tempo. Um, so, but for him to get 91 plays and and Amari and Hampton, yeah, we he's we have to develop this uh, the Amari and Hampton portion of the program like we do for Drake May. Um, and 
in addition to that, we could also have a Tez Walker um, portion of the yeah. of the program. Those three guys, May, Walker, and Hampton, um, you know, they talk about how having a, a really good quarterback, you know, always gives you a puncher's chance. But when you've got those three guys, uh, May, Walker, and Hampton, and I'm going to add Nesbitt in there. He had a whale of a game uh, and is such an asset uh, to that offense that uh, when you put all those pieces of it in, in the, on that offense, they're going to have a puncher's chance, you know, in these next two games, at least uh, a puncher's chance because that's a lot of firepower to contend with. And Duke probably had, if not the best defense in the ACC, close, close to it. So uh, if they gave up 500 and some yards to North Carolina, 493 in regulation. They had not come close to giving up that kind of yardage all year. So that just illustrates, uh, you know, how good that offense is. And Mr. Sink in the chat, uh, I won't forget Noah Burnett either uh, as part of that offense. He did a tremendous job, and he needs uh, all the accolades he's going to get today, which should be plenty. Yeah, which, you know, if folks will notice the title of the show, Noah Saves the Hills. Uh, I mean – the man got his name in the title of the day after. We know how important he was. He's probably and sore that, from kicking all those field goals. That tying hey. one sure looked like it wasn't going to go in for, at first. <laughs> well, I almost, you know, I, I haven't seen it um, again. Uh, I've seen it on the replay. But it's almost like if he kicked it straight, if he didn't hook it around the corner and hook it in there, it gets blocked. He missed it. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah. It, no, it probably gets blocked. Yeah, because yeah. they're right in front of him. And it's like – he played the hook around the tree in the fifth fairway, you know, and, and hooked it in. And you can always tell by the students, right? The students are like, oh. And it was just, I mean, credit the young man for all he's been through. I mean, we're talking about Noah Bernard here. He, he, he's he been through it at Carolina. I mean, he got thrown on the trash heap. So we're going to bring in the kid from somewhere else, and we're going to either force you to get better or quit or, or whatever. And Burnett just kept his head down, worked, got an opportunity, kicked them all. Jason, let me ask you about Omarion uh, because I want to dig a little deeper here. I went and looked at his stats. He's got 1,200 and some change on the season. He's got 10 lost yards rushing. So I said, what about Blake Corum behind Michigan's offensive line? Blake Corum has 12 lost yards. And, I mean, I don't know if that means anything. I thought it was a cool stat. <clears throat> but not only is Amarion running the ball like that, he has eight catches for 47 yards on nine targets. He picked up countless blitzes. He He's done it all year. Just the growth and what North Carolina has here in this running back. Because I thought he'd be good in college um, because I knew he was a workout stud and he's going to put in the work and he's going to improve. But. Just wow. I mean, what can he improve? 39 touches. For 200 and some odd yards. I mean, it's one thing to play 90 snaps. It's another thing to, to, to carry the football 39 times against a physical defense. I mean, that that's that's a whole lot. You don't see that in today's game. I mean, 
back in the 80s, 70s, 90s, you know, early 90s, you'd see, you know, running backs with 35, 40 carries in a game, you know, pretty frequently. But, I mean, you don't see that very often, partly because you just get worn down. But he didn't wear down. He got stronger as the game went on. And, and you can, you know, you can see the, the work that he's put in in terms of, of taking care of his body. And, you know, of course, he, he did get hit a few extra times by the, uh, the good genetic stick in terms of, uh, uh, of physicality and, 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 you know, natural strength and speed there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, he's, like you said, he's grown over the course of the whole season to where he's reliable, not just as a back who you can hand the football to, but as a guy in, in pass protection, he was pretty good on the night, had a couple that, you know, I think he'd like to have back. Uh, and then, you know, really has developed as a, as a receiver, as a receiving option. Uh, so yeah, where, where can he improve? He can still get a little better in terms of vision. He can still uh, continue to develop as a, you know, more rock solid, aggressive pass protector. But, I mean, honestly, if he was eligible for the draft, I'd advise him to go to go pro after this year. Because he's he's already shown the traits that you'd want to see as a as a developer, and you know I just say okay, well, son, you're you, you know you're 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 what they what they're looking for for a lot of those things. I do think that what they've done schematically with him, understand it's helped it's helped him because they understand what he does well, uh, and the emphasis on how they block things of getting vertical displacement and really allowing him to get up to speed as quickly as possible and make one cut and go is it plays to his strengths. And like you said, he doesn't get tackled for a loss that really helps this offense stay on schedule. Uh, but, but anyway, I, I will say one, one other thing I, I was, I was exchanging messages with a, with a, uh, a fan after the game and um, I made the observation that that Duke as a whole was the better football team last night. Duke was the better team, but North Carolina had Drake May, <laughs> right? I really should have expanded that to Duke was the better team, except North Carolina had Drake May, Omarion Hampton, and Tez Walker. And the bottom line is playmakers – Difference makers make plays. You know, big time players. They call them difference makers, right? right. Yeah, big time players make big time plays in big time games. If you're getting down to rivalry games, when two teams are pretty evenly matched, or one is even better, you know, in a lot of areas, but one team has the freaks. Bet on the bet on the team with the freaks. (laughs) And in this game. Duke was the better team, except North Carolina had the freaks. North Carolina had Drake May, Omarion Hampton, and Tez Walker. Those three guys are they're freaks, right? They're the guys that if you if you're having a draft, if you're sticking all those guys out there, and you had a, a player draft between North Carolina and and Duke, it'd be hard pressed to have three guys go above those three. Now Jordan Waters. The, the Duke running back, he, he's he's pretty dang good too. Uh, <laughs> you know, as, as as well as as Hampton played, Waters was really really good, and and his speed just jumps off the off the screen. But you know, 
basically Duke had one freak. Waters. North Carolina had three. And, you know, when it came down to it, they had one at the most important position, which is, of course, quarterback. But, yeah, those guys those guys dragged the rest of the team across the finish line and, and, and made sure that they that they finished. And I mean, you could toss Nesbitt in there too as a as a six six plus difference maker at his position as again another one of those freaks that ultimately this game was decided by the freaks. Yep, and, and I think that is the difference in say the Virginia game, where North Carolina did not use their freaks to drag them across the line, and and they did against Duke. And I think in rivalry games, to your point, Jason, you got to do it. You know, you have to lean on the guys that. That, that do it for you. Um, a lot of people wanted Hampton more carries in the red zone. I get it. I, I understand all of that stuff. Um, but you have all these other guys. And then, Buck, you mentioned the portions of the program. I mean, Drake May. The play, the two-point conversion is ridiculous. You know, yeah. it's one of those plays. But getting them down the field to kick a field goal for Burnett to be heroic. I mean, Drake in, just In continues. 40 seconds. 41, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many people in this chat and in that stadium, if they're honest, when and we'll talk about the defense after the break because I do want to talk about that last defensive call. I wonder how many people thought North Carolina was going to win that game. But what were you thinking? Well, I thought that uh, had this been in virtually any other era, uh, and without Drake May, Although, you know, Sam Howell had also some skills along those lines and other, other Mitch Trubisky and some other guys. But uh, in yesteryear, if uh, North Carolina was down by three with 41 seconds left, you would have seen lines going up the exits, uh, you know, uh, on their way out of the stadium, you know, because there was no way North Carolina was going to win that game. Um, so, yeah, I mean – he has had some games where he wasn't able to deliver like that. It wasn't his fault, I don't believe. But um, just to have someone that can get you to in field goal range off your 25 in 41 seconds, well, I, actually, I guess it's 38 seconds because there were three left on the clock, uh, is just unbelievable that you can get you can get that done. And... Uh, that's that's a classic drive and one that uh, should go into the uh, Duke UNC uh, archive of crazy last minute stuff that happens in those games. You know, last year he was the guy that uh, won that game in Durham, um, but remarkable, just remarkable stuff. Yeah, indeed, Jason. You know, Max says it a lot, and it's interesting is. Everybody wants to say, what's wrong with Drake? You know, and then you'd look up and he's thrown however many yards, 75% completion percentage and all that. I just thought, I don't think he did anything super yesterday other than that drive and then the two-point conversion. When I say super, Drake may relatively super. Um, I thought he underthrew Tez Walker three times, maybe two or three times where it could have been walk-in touchdowns. He finally hit him in stride. I'm late there, but what'd you see from Drake overall against the Duke defense? Look, folks, you know, you got to get rid of this Duke football <laughs> equals Duke must suck at football. 
They do not. And those defenses legit. And number 90 um, could play on the Panthers right now and make them better. <laughs> and they had a couple other guys. But just Drake overall, uh, before we get to the break, because I think it's another relevant discussion that we seem to have every week, but two, and then everybody wonders what's wrong. Yeah, so first thing is nobody has thrown the football all that well against against Duke. Nobody. Now, they haven't played a ton of uh of passing teams that, you know, have outstanding athletes and 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 a quarterback and all of that, but they did play Florida State who ha- does have does have the the dudes outside and you know, in terms of the passing game, Florida State put up 268 yards passing against Duke. That's okay. You know, 7.4 yards per per attempt. They were reasonably efficient. They did a lot of their damage on the ground. North Carolina and Drake May put up 342 yards at eight yards a, a play in this game against Duke. And the other thing is that the uh, you know the thing that that we we already mentioned that a lot of the things that we talked about in the game plan podcast happened. One of the th- one of those things was that the that we talked about the tight ends would probably have a really good day against against Duke because the way that they cover their Nesbit and those guys would have some opportunities, and that would be a place where Carolina could could take advantage of of some of what they do. The thing that was surprising was that. Drake was able to get the ball over the top against that defense. Now, some of that is just Tez Walker. That is next level speed. Because, I mean, they were playing bail coverage. <laughs> this is coverage where at the snap, you are taking off and, t- and trying to make sure that nothing over the top can happen. I mean, that's what Duke does. They're, they're doing everything. They're going to squeeze you to the sideline. You can't, okay, you're just not going to be over the top. We're going to make sure that that... And Walker just ran around and right by it. But that doesn't matter if you can't put the ball on the money there. And those guys, the efficiency on verticals, on vertical throws from from Drake May, and especially the Drake May to Tez Walker connection, without that, that this game, you, you don't win this game. I mean, think about this. Tez Walker had seven catches, averaged 23.1 yards per catch in this game. And all of that on 12 targets the efficiency over the top to be able to loosen that defense up was i think one of the most impressive things for me in this game because nobody has done that to duke florida state didn't beat him over the top notre dame didn't beat him over the top clemson didn't beat him over the top louisville didn't beat him over the top louisville threw for 117 yards on duke Right, Jamari Thrash and that that Louisville offense; those guys can play. They threw for 117 yards against Duke, and Drake May went out there and had a business as usual: 65% completion percentage, 342 yards, one touchdown, one absolutely atrocious decision for for an interception. I have I still have no idea what he was thinking on that. I uh, I need to go back and take a look at it cuz he must have been fooled by the uh, pre-snap and and locked in on what he thought because they they do rotate a lot. They do change their coverage looks after the snap. And if he, you know, paid attention to where the safety rotation was, it was an obvious throw to the basic, to the dig. 
but he, he, you know, I don't know what decision, what, what, what initiated that decision. But aside from that one hiccup, once he, once that happened and he, he kicked it into gear, it just, yeah. I mean, like I said, nobody's done that to Duke all season. And it's not like they haven't played any team that, that, that can throw. They played, they played a few that can, and they've done a pretty darn good job against him. But Drake May, Tez Walker, Nesbitt, that whole group, they were, they were on point. And again, without those guys, without this is, this is an interesting thing to, to consider here. What is North Carolina's record this season and last season, if you want to toss that in there, without Drake May? Do we want to go there? I mean, with a, I, with, I as good. not as with good. a with a re, let's just say with an ACC level with a replacement level quarterback. Let's just say, uh, uh, let's just say MJ Morris at quarterback instead of Drake May. What is what is North Carolina's record the last year? The last two years. Let's revisit that because I'm on I'm on do a Johnny <laughs> T-shirt read, and I want you to reboot again. Drop out and reboot because you're getting a little cyborg on me, and I'm seeing people in the chat starting to bring it up. Um, I'm gonna do that read, reboot. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about the defense, and then we're gonna talk about Jason's questions. What's Carolina's record the last two years without Drake May? Folks, I'm gonna talk about Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com uh, sponsors this podcast. And, and look, if you were in Keenan Stadium or tailgating and all that good stuff last night. You needed some Johnny T-shirt swag because it was a little chilly. Why this cold? As we thought it was going to be, but Johnny T-shirt certainly would have been in the mix to help you mm. stay warm. Go visit them on Franklin Street. Go take care of them uh, on online at JohnnyT-shirt.com. If you're unable to get to Chapel Hill, uh, they take care of you. They take care of you if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. I've had a ton of people, but come up to me and say, "We buy Johnny T-shirt because y'all talk about it all the time." Well, folks, that's why we talk about it all the time. And that's why Inside Carolina needs your support to support local. Check out Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Get your 10% off. National guys will pay the bills. We'll be right back with the day after. Shout out to 621 in the chat. If we get to 800, we may have to do some giveaways or stuff. We'll be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, Buck. Uh, it's the day after. Carolina wins in double overtime against Duke. A lot of comments in the chat. A lot of comments on the message boards about the defense. And I want to get Jason back in here to talk about it. But I want your take because we talked about it off air a little bit. Yeah, I don't we know did. why anybody. I, I don't. I don't know why anybody expects anything differently at this point. Well, we saw something a little different last night, um, and not necessarily in a good way. Uh, Mac Brown even spoke about it in his press conference, and uh, and while I'm on that point, I just want to give a shout out to the Inside Carolina staff. Game ends after midnight. They're up translating press conference stuff and getting the information out there for all you guys. Just, uh, you know, they do it a great job. And that those late night games is where you actually see the quality of your staff come through. And that they came through in a big way last night. But here's the thing about what we saw last night. And I, where this is headed, I don't know. But. Um, not the entire night, but at certain portions of the night, like the last play or last defensive uh, stand by the Tar Heels, they went full Carl Torbush on, uh, may he rest in peace, on Duke right there in the fourth quarter in a couple of spots where they just sent everybody and got burned on a 30-yard touchdown pass um, in the process. And Mac talked about it in his press conference saying, that's, that's who we want to be. We want to be that aggressive team. And uh, some of you that are listening to this probably know this well, others, maybe not so much, but when Brown was coaching here the first time, he didn't think Carl Torbush was aggressive enough on defense. And he uh, gave him an ultimatum. Either you're going to get uh, more aggressive on defense or you're going to find another job. I mean, essentially is what he told Carl Tobush back in 1994, I think. It was after the, after the Sun Bowl that they lost to Texas. Yeah. Interestingly enough. I'm trying to remember that uh, running back's name. James uh, Brown, I think. No, uh, it wasn't, wasn't that name. It was a different name. I'll look it up. Hey! Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Last night, Mac Brown must have put his foot down on Gene right there at the end and said, hey, we're going to get aggressive. This is, that's who we want to be. And that did not work out well. And so I, I'm at a loss to know what to say uh, anymore about the defense. It, it doesn't work when they're not aggressive, and it doesn't work when they are aggressive. And I just don't think, with all due respect, that, uh, Gene Chizik is perhaps the guy you want to be directing a defense that you want to be aggressive because it just cuts against his grain too much. It's just that's not something that he really believes in. Priest Holmes is the correct answer. Hunter Pierce had it. Yep, yep. I threw it in there too as well. It was Priest Holmes. Yeah. Fitting, He's fitting still that running, it was Priest way, Holmes and, and Noah Burnett. Yeah. He, uh, so, he He's still scoring in the cold El Paso. Yeah. Yeah. December air. Yeah, the hills of El Paso. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they tried to get aggressive a few times and, and do exactly what everybody's been pounding the table for all year, which is, uh, you know, just get aggressive. 
but they they didn't leave anybody in the secondary, and they didn't get to him in time. And booyah! There's a a touchdown for that might you might as well call free money at that point. Guys wide open, nobody around. Him. So I I don't know what the answer is uh, other than. And, you know, I don't want to say this in any kind of hostility, but um, when when you see what somebody is, it's madness to think that they're going to be somebody different than what you've been seeing the entire time. Um, it's like the uh, saying we hear so much these days, when somebody shows you who you are, who they are, believe them. Um, so... I think that's where we're at with the defense. Uh, it's just in, in, inconceivable to me, as inconceivable as it was for um, North Carolina to score 47 on uh, Duke, them to score 45 on UNC with that offense, with a third-stream quarterback, this like well led with the show, maybe we should have expected that, but um that's incredible. Nobody scored forty five points on North Carolina all year. Now some of that came in overtime, but still, um well they gave up <clears throat> thirty six in regulation or thirty nine. Yep. Um George Tech did. But you know, it's trending in the as Jason likes to point out, the dots are trending in the wrong direction. There you go. So I, I I'm at a loss to know what to say. Uh, about this defense. Um, they've tried to do different things, and when they try to do different things, they're not very good at it. Um, so that's where we are. Jason, I want to get you here. I want to work back a little bit because we, we got to talk about this defense. I felt like that, that zero blitz or whatever they want to call it um, there on fourth down, I think almost felt like that was like, I'll show you. I'll show you what you've been wanting. Here we go. I don't um, think that was that at all, but <laughs> well, that that was, we'll see. But I do want your take. I felt like they left Marcus Allen out on the island where he's got to protect for a first down, and so your your double moves are going to get you every time because you have to jump it on the first down on fourth down. Just walk us through from your expert angle there and tell me um, what you saw there, good or bad. I didn't have a problem with the call. You're trying to get the ball out of the guy's hands quickly. And you're dealing with a third-string, first-year quarterback. Well, um, you know, you, you force that guy to make a play. Now, you know, Hasselbeck was talking about, you don't do that because you simplify the reads for him and everything. That was a double move that was going there the whole way. It wouldn't have mattered what you call. Only thing that changes that, that read potentially is if you press it. If you go if you go press on the on the corner on the on the short side there and then they're still going to run the little stop and go it's just a little def different technique. Odds are if they are playing off technique, if they are um, if they if they play coverage, right? So now you got safeties or whatever. Odds are in that situation you're going to play coverage with some sort of uh, either quarters or three. Look, probably, probably some sort, of, some version of, of of a cover three type thing there, uh, because if you're covering, because you're you're wanting to to get some extra guys underneath to cover 
to cover the 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 uh, the first down line. If that's the case, you still end up with a one on one against that receiver at that spot. So maybe maybe if you're in uh, you know a cover three type look and you've got somebody coming out to cover the to cover the flat there, maybe the corner isn't quite as ready to jump that to bite on that. But you know it's fourth and seven. And you're protecting the sticks. It's really hard not to take that cheese, even if you're not in a true man-to-man situation. There, you know. I, I just think at, at a certain point, Texas A&M made a good call and had you know had something in their pocket that was that was good for the one-on-one. But odds are, even if you cover, you're going to have an opportunity with the one-on-one on the on the outside there, because any vertical gets converted to outside as soon as you as soon as it becomes a, uh, as soon as you get a vertical release against so, any zone defense, you're still going to get a one-on-one. So, so what is, so what is Marcus Allen supposed to do there? People are saying the DB has got to make a play. I understand that. Um, he understands that I'm sure, but what is, what is he supposed to do in that situation? Because it, whether he's in no man's land or he just got beat or, or whatever, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what you expect your corner to do in that type situation. Well, I mean, it, again, it's a tough situation because it's a it's an aggressive call that you don't really expect. You're you're protecting the sticks. Um, to me, again, some of it's technique. So when you're going to bite on that, you have to make sure you get a piece of the guy going by. If you are going to bite on that, or you know, as you work through, you have to squeeze him more. But he just got he, he just got, you know, it's a crossover dribble, and he just happened to to get caught the wrong way. Well, if he grabs uh, if him, it's a hold call. Yeah, exactly. Without question. But, but but if you get but if you just kind of get get uh don't lose touch with him, that's the thing. So, I don't have as much of a problem with it. Um again, you know, you can second guess it and say, "Okay, well, look, just drop eight and just have everybody play over the top there." <sighs> okay, but then, you know, you don't get any pressure. Quarterback stands back there for 6 seconds and then fits it into a into an easy window. Right. So at a certain point, you just have to have players make the plays. And, you know, that was one where, you know, sometimes a good corner is going to get beat. And, and he's been really good on the season. You got to trust your guys. Yeah. He, and, he's, you know, Marcus Allen has been one of the one of the best players on this defense all season. And, if, and you know, you feel pretty good about that guy playing in a one on one situation against that receiver. You'll take that matchup most of the time. It just happened to be really well executed by the offense and you tip your cap. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to complain too much about that call. I'm not going to uh, criticize too much about what, what happened on that play. I've got tons of other criticism about other things in this game. And in particular about the overall, just lack of physicality on defense. They don't tackle well. Uh, they took some atrocious angles. One of the things that we, that, that if you go back to my breakdowns during the week, in terms of the Duke running game in particular, talked about all about angles and especially from the secondary. And, you know, those two touchdowns that Jordan Waters had, they, they were exactly the play <laughs> that we, that, that, that was broken down on one of those videos where they're bringing the, uh, they're bringing the outside receiver. He's, you know, coming up and taking, taking on the, the, uh, the quarter safety. And you just have to have the, the, the corner fill the corner has to replace when he blocks 
something you have to replace from the outside so that you don't get stuck in a, in a non-contained situation. And twice Carolina just allowed that to, to spill, to, to break to the outside, break contain and easily walk into the end zone. You knew that was what they were going to do. You knew that this is what they do when they reduce that split. You knew that when that receiver comes inside, he's doing that. You knew it. And you still take those bad angles. You knew that when those backs are coming through the line of scrimmage, you have to absolutely blow them up. And by the way, Stick Lane, who was one of your guys before the game, did that more than once. But there were too many situations where guys are in position and don't get guys on the ground. There were too many situations where you're looking at a, at a defensive tackle who's five yards upfield on a run play. Right? There, there are too many situations where the, the read guy screws up. So, yeah, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I guess if there was a time to take a victory lap on this one, which I don't want to have to take a victory lap because I was hoping I was wrong, if you remember, uh, but might as well do it on a, on a game where, after a game where Carolina won. But you remember how much flack I got from the, from the tarp, from the, uh, the premium message board folks and all that when two years ago, when Jay Bateman was, was replaced and the question on this podcast when we had a roundtable, was, is this, you know, is this an upgrade? Will this, you know, is this gonna, is this gonna get Carolina towards a, uh, uh, towards a solution? And my answer was one word, if you remember. I'll let you say it. No. It's not. And I remember getting, you know, pretty heavily criticized for that at the time. And this is why. What Buck said is 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 accurate, and, and and what I said then is it's not about scheme. This is not about scheme. It isn't. They they're running a, the same calls that Georgia runs, that Florida State runs, that Oregon runs, uh, a lot of the same calls that Alabama runs. They run a lot of the same stuff. And it's not just, I mean, there, there are some personnel limitations, no question. But it's not just about personnel either. They run them, by the way, a lot of the same calls that, that Duke does. It, it, this, is a, this is a program deal. This is a mentality deal. This is a team takes on the, per, the, the, the mentality of its coaching staff deal. This is, you get what you allow, you get what you tolerate stuff. And... At the end of the day, Carolina on the defensive side in particular, and this carries through multiple coordinators now, Carolina allows too much. And then they that means the defense allows too much. And I do think also that the team in general, you get a feel for, you, you, you sometimes get the feeling that this team overall, from the coaching staff down, from the top down, is too re- results-oriented and not 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 fixated on the process. And there are times where you can see the process is is just not good enough at, at in terms of the 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 overall intensity and the fundamentals necessary to to succeed at the level that they want to succeed. If you put the if you put the if you put the the if you put the the 
results first, then you ultimately won't get the results that you want. You have to focus obsessively on process and you have to be obsessive about not allowing anything that you don't want in that process. And my feel is that there's, there's still a certain amount of uh, softness in the program. And that, that manifests as it always does most clearly on the defensive side of the ball. Buck Sanders, uh, you know, that, that really could end the show. Um, it's not quite time yet. There were some positives out there. I, I do like that Jason referenced stick lane. Cause I thought he would be a guy that came up and made some plays and came and Rucker did his thing and, and said, and power made some plays, but your overall take on the defensive performance here, um, Aside from the coach, the defensive coordinator, um, ultimately North Carolina won the game 47-45, and that's what way down the line people that don't pay as close attention as everybody in the chat and everybody on the boards and everybody here thinks. Um, but just give us some words of wisdom from Buck here because Jason pretty much nailed the last five minutes. I'm going to repeat what I said uh, a couple of shows ago, uh, which is that when it comes to North Carolina's defense, uh, the parts are more impressive than the sum of the parts. Uh, they've got some players. Uh, that, I don't. Jason <coughs> nailed it when he said, "It's not that they don't have the players, uh, and it's not about the scheme either. Uh, they've got some decent players. Marcus Allen is a really good cornerback. Huzzy's a good corner." Uh, secondary defender um they've got some people that can play uh said gray is if he's not an all-american he's in second team or somewhere in there in that conversation um and they've got some people that can play defense but somehow or another the, those parts do not come together as a whole that is greater than the sum of the parts it's the reverse and uh that's the thing that's so inexplicable to see and you see it happen at different places like you know apropos to this game and this podcast duke wasn't known as having drop dead gorgeous defense until two years ago when mike elgo showed up and then all of a sudden things changed and and my guess is i don't know i wasn't there i wasn't around it but I assume that what happened was Mike Elko just did not accept the way things were being done in the past. That wasn't good enough. They had to do it his way. And, and that's what's happened. He's mandated that they're going to play a certain way and they're going to play physical and they're going to play disciplined. Um, so, that's what happened. He, he insisted on it. He, uh, did not tolerate anything outside of that. So until you have that scenario where it's just unacceptable to, uh, be anything less than what you're the players to be anything less than what you're expecting them to be, you get what you, you know, tolerate. So, I think that's the issue is that um, it's not they don't have the talent. They have, I think they've got more talent than Duke has by far. 
Uh, eh, I don't know if it's, that it's by far because Duke's got some players that'll play on Sundays now. They got they, well, and they've got well, they've got good depth on that defense too. The the thing that Elko did is he brought in a bunch of transfers and evaluated those transfers really really well, and then took advantage of the few players that were actually on that roster. So I wouldn't say it's a huge difference. Well, they're a very veteran team. They got I think twenty four grad students playing yeah. on that team, something yeah. like that. Something <laughs> crazy. crazy. A um, bunch of old guys out there that play yeah. like old guys. Yeah. So, you know, I, he he did upgrade the quality of the players on the team to a degree, but there's no way North Carolina should not be able to have a defense as good as what Duke has. Amen they to that. Sh- the, the, they should be able to have that quality of a defense, and they don't. And – I don't think it's on the players, so where else are you going to go with that? Um, they need to they need to find a way to insist, not accept anything less than uh, the same sort of intensity, physicality, discipline that Mike Elko and his staff insist upon. Why wouldn't that work in Chapel Hill? I can't believe – I'm not going to go down the path of saying – well, the water in Chapel Hill just makes people soft. It's That's not, not that. It's not that, you know. Um, so if it's not that and it's not the players, then let's, it shouldn't take too long to figure out what the problem is. Well, especially when you look at Mike Elko's history. So if we, if we want to just go down this road, look at what look at the defenses when Mike Elko was at, was at Wake Forest. Everybody hated playing Wake Forest in those years, and they didn't have talent. But man, those defenses were a pain. And then he goes to Notre Dame, and they have two of the best seasons that they've had defensively. He leaves Notre Dame, and Notre Dame doesn't get better defensively. And then he goes to Texas A&M, where they've been struggling to stop anybody. And A&M has the only good years that they have under Jimbo Fisher, where they had top five. They had a top five defense his last year at A&M. And then he goes to Duke, and Duke's defense radically transforms in year one. And he does this everywhere he goes. At a certain point, like, well, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is really about, about making sure that you are holding your defensive players to a certain standard. And this is just going to be who they are. And they're going to take on your persona. And I've long believed... How many times have you heard me say this over the years? Teams take on the characteristics. They take on the personality, the persona of their coaches. They do. Teams take on the persona of their coaches. And that's why it's so important for coaches to project the persona and the demanding aspect of this that they, that they want to see from their players. You have to be, you have to be hard. You have to be hard enough. You still want to be. I mean, th- that's the hardest. That's one of the hardest parts about coaching is you want to be. You want to strike that balance between a a coach that your players can come to your office if they have a problem, that they trust you, that they know you love them. That's 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 the start. You your players first of all have to know that you love them, that you want them to you want the best for them, for each and every one of them. Once you've got that, then you've got to be the strict parent. 
and you've got to be, you've got to hold the line and you've got to make sure that they understand that there are standards in this house. But those two things, and I've seen coaches that, that don't have one side or the other. My impression is that right now there's just been, there's been insufficient, uh, demands for the level of of sustained intensity and attention to the uh to the process at every position and see this is not just a coordinator thing this filters all the way down to the position coaches this filters all the way down to to the way that team leadership works and everything and tommy i keep going back to what you and i watched when we were when when we saw it uh in in the uh in in the fall when you see a five-star defensive lineman going down to a knee and taking a break, you know, pulling himself out of a drill for a second and going, that ain't good. Right? Because you've got to have a culture from player leadership to position coach all the way up and from head coach all the way down to where that's shameful. That guy, that guy can't do that because he's going to lose face with his teammates. That guy can't pull himself out and show that kind of weakness right then. No, that's not acceptable here. We don't do that. You're going to have to stay after and you're going to have to work yourself to where you're ready to go. And you can, and that's not happening in those drills. You're going to have to show the toughness to where you're going to, you're going to, be able to do that play after play after play and play at this level. Cause we're not going to be at this level. You can't have that. You do two reps and then you're going to pull yourself out cause you're tired. No, 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 not here. We don't do that. That's the thing that I see with Carolina football right now on the defensive side. That is the limiting factor. It's the, and the thing is it's uneven. You don't see that from, from Cayman Rucker. I've said this for three years. I would pound the table for Cayman Rucker if I was an NFL scout. That's a guy I want on my team. And, you know, Cedric Gray is a guy I want on my team. You know, there there are guys on this team that are going to play on Sundays because they have this. But there's just, it's uneven. It's insufficient in terms of working through the whole DNA of every position group to where, like, look, you just can't, you can't play like this. You can't be getting tired you can't you we can't that rep right there that's unacceptable and getting that every day every play in every drill that's where that's where the weakness is right now and you see it manifest itself on the field on saturdays so there's no denying um what you guys have been talking about i mean and yet, North Carolina wins 47-45. I was going to talk about what Carolina's record would be without Drake, given all this defensive talk. Um, I don't think we need to go there. It's pretty obvious um, <laughs> what, what it would be, and it would not be what it is. Currently, Carolina is currently 8-2. and two. Um, It's a you know, dang it's, good season. I want, to ma- I want to make that clear. I mean, think about where Carolina was when Mac Brown took over. Yep. There has to be a, a, a look. You just there's no bad wins against a. I, I want to make this clear before we finish. There is no such thing as a bad win against a rival. <laughs> right? You just beat a rival in a tight game. Enjoy that aspect. You're eight and two after 
not being after being below 500 when Mac Brown took over. The program is 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 in a healthy spot. It's in a place where you know this is this is approaching where Carolina can be. But understand, this is this is where if you want to take that next step, that's the thing. But look, this is a good football team. And everybody should be grateful to watch that aspect of it. The frustrating part about it is that there's a that, that you watch them and you feel like there could be just a little more. You know, I was going to say uh, before Jason jumped in, if if you're not feeling that happy this morning, uh, and you're, you're disturbed and angered and frustrated by what you saw, imagine how you would feel. If you watch Duke paint that victory bell cart uh, dark blue last night, and you woke yep. up this morning having lost to Duke and have to live with that for a year, um, and, and if you live in the same uh, area that I live in, you're going to hear about it from people <laughs> that you don't want to really talk to about it. From all the New Jersey transplants? There you go. Um, <laughs> the New Jersey South is what we call Duke. Uh but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think after all of this angst and uh, gnashing of teeth and sackcloth and ashes and all of that, we should uh, take a minute to uh, acknowledge the fact that North Carolina won a game and they did it by having an offense powerful enough to overcome one of the best defenses on the East Coast. Uh, so... You know, we should take a minute to appreciate that. If, and for people that, you know, want to get uh, make themselves feel a little better, they should take a look at the stat line that Duke had against Notre Dame. Or NC the, State. Or NC State. Um, but at Notre Dame, known for their powerful lines and how great they are in the trenches and how physical they are, um, Notre Dame scored 21 points on Duke. Yep. Um Needed a prayer to do it. Right. So uh, I think people should take a moment to understand, as as, uh, Tommy was alluded to earlier, we're not talking about uh, Ted Roof's Duke squads. Nope. This is not a Ted Roof. That's a legit top 25 team. And I think probably a top 20 team that that North Carolina just The only losses they have on the year came to ranked opponents. And not just ranked opponents, but good ranked opponents. They lost to Florida State, Louisville. North Carolina, Louisville, and Notre Dame. That's four yeah. teams that I would put in the top 12 of the country right now. Yeah. Or so, Carolina, probably top 15. And they've done it without their quarterback. Think about Carolina without Drake May. That's Duke without Riley Leonard. Yeah, I see people in the chat that are saying, you know, oh, no, Carolina's not very good. They're, they're mediocre. No, 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 guys. Look, I've seen mediocre. We've all seen mediocre. This ain't mediocre. <laughs> Buck yeah. Sanders and I have seen mediocre. Yeah. This, is, this is a very good North Carolina team. The frustrating thing is that they're, they're really just a little bit of a shift in mentality and accountability on defense from being you know, a playoff-type contender. Yeah. And that's, that's the frustrating thing. Buck, to your point about what they did against what I think is a top 15 defense in the country, this is the drive chart that they put up against Duke. Right? Touchdown, field goal, field goal, INT, field goal, field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. Three drives they didn't score on? Is that two? 
two. There were only two drives in the entire game they did not score. That's insane. You realize, like... And against that defense, took the ball uh, downfield and kicked the field goal in 41 seconds. Yeah, the there, are mediocre, there are mediocre teams out there that couldn't do that against air. Yeah. Right? But this yeah, North think, Carolina offense... Yeah, if you think North Carolina offense is mediocre, then you need to go to the eye doctor and, yeah. uh, and get some new lenses. Let, uh, let me do this. Let, let me jump in here and talk about congruity right fast because we got max people in here. There's 666 people in here. So uh, yep. you should have never said that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it with the theme today, boys. It's Sunday. Uh, presented by our friends at Congruity. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, so it's a perfect time to talk about a North Carolina-based company with a national coverage. Uh, they take care of your HR and payroll outsourcing if you're that small to mid-sized business. They'll take care of your people. You take care of growing your business, right? They look after the players in your on your team while you take care of the coaching aspect of it. Congruity does that part. Obsessed with customer service. Obsessed with technology. Obsessed with helping you grow to where you want to be in the business world go to congruityhr.com front slash tar heels do the free assessment they'll look after you if you're inside carolina readers and viewers uh, do the free assessment see what they can do for you darren and matt will hook you up with the best plan going forward to make your team your squad get over that hump and go from good to great congruity does that all right let's wrap it up uh I don't really know what to say to wrap it up, to be honest with you. North Carolina won this game. I've been around. It felt like the 41-40 game in, in Wallace Wade years ago when Octavius Barnes saved North Carolina with a long touchdown uh, from Mike Thomas. I don't know how you how folks – you know, that old appreciation versus expectation deal that Greg talked about, that Dabo Sweeney talked about, Buck. Um I sometimes wonder, and to Max credit, he says this a lot. Um, North Carolina averaged five point six something wins since he left the first time, and, and now we are debating whether or not eight and two is a good season for North Carolina football. <laughs> it's you a know? really good season. Yeah, and, and you know, somebody in the chat said outside of Noah Burnett, special teams is a mess. There's a lot of mess in the program, but. They're eight and two. They've won this game, but Buck, I do agree, and I'm gonna let you close it here, and then Jason, you can get the last word. I 100% agree that results-based viewing is tough, um, and it leads to these type discussions because it is all about the process, and there's definitely some processes that need to change in this program, and they probably need to do it ahead of going to Death Valley against a Clemson team that has started to play like Clemson. Well, um, yeah, the Clemson game. I'm not ready to talk about Clemson yet. Uh, I may not be ready to be talking about Clemson uh, by next Friday. Or next um, Sunday. Not the way Sunday. Clemson's been playing. Um, so uh, let's, let's put that on the shelf for now and, and just uh, take a moment to, to – now, we all understand nobody's going to gloss over the fact that Changes need to be made in the UNC football program to to go from good to great. 
And I oh. suspect that Mac Brown would be in agreement with that with that uh, discussion right now. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that I've talked to <laughs> Mac you. over the years, and uh, and Mac wants to win more than anybody else. So <laughs> yeah, so you know he he just needs uh, a a uh, somebody on the defensive side of the ball to to take some names and uh, kick some rear ends uh, on a regular basis, and if he can get that. Uh, this program could take a, another step forward, um, but that's next year. This year, they've got to go to Clemson and they've got to go to state to close out the season. And I'm not optimistic, and, and I'm not optimistic for the reason that I predicted both of those games as losses in the when we did our prediction show. Um, and I think I'm leading that uh, arrangement as we speak on uh the games that we picked uh so oh yeah you had to take a shot there yeah well <laughs> why not you know <laughs> well we all have to let el, Pre el presidente win once in a while so. once in a while i need a bone don't i <laughs> uh, so uh you know let, let's uh let's face these things as we uh get to them and uh i appreciate everybody being in the chat uh, there's really good questions being asked and um, some answers in the chat for, for people as well. Um, but, again, I take my hat off to the guys at IC, uh, everybody working there from, you know, intern Evan Rogers, Jeremiah Holloway, Adam Smith, Tommy and Joey at the tailgate, uh, Jason calling in, everybody working hard to get stuff done. Um, the, they really uh, – those kind, these kinds of games that end after midnight really test your, the metal of, uh, of folks. And your guys did a really great job. Yeah, and I'm on uh, Jason. I'm gonna let your film breakdown speak for you for the rest of the week until we talk on Thursday night. Um, I do want to give a hat tip to uh, to Chip Lindsay because I, I I'm seeing some folks saying that you know uh, uh, Omarion and and Tez and and Drake May overcame a you know a bad play calling night from chip Lindsay and i i don't know what, what what game these folks were watching i thought it was a i thought it was overall there were a few calls that i go oh, well you know i wouldn't have called that but you know that's true anytime you're gonna have 80 plus calls in a game and i thought i thought the offensive plan and the offensive staff coached their rear ends off in this game and uh what we saw from the from from drake may and those guys was well within the within the plan so I disagree with that. I just want to say that hat tip to that side of the ball, just to, from the from the coaching staff down. Yeah. When you have 95 plays, there's going to be a couple that people don't like. It's just yeah. the nature of the beast. Hampton, 31 carries, a lot more than he's had um, for all the yards, the receptions, and everything. North Carolina wins 47-45. Um, a lot to like. If you, if you like, as Buck mentioned, the Carolina Blue victory bell, a lot to talk about. We've done it. Um, stay tuned to Inside Carolina. Vip and Shot will be around Carolina basketball. I'll be back doing this in what six hours? Yes, six hours for the for the post game podcast talking about North Carolina and Lehigh. Shout out to all the Inside Carolina people, as Buck has mentioned. Uh, you know, I was on the I walked down to the field just to you know see the environment and, and, and find my children down there, and that was well after midnight in Chapel Hill. And everybody at Inside Carolina is still putting in work, even this morning. So you've got a lot going on to bring you this. Um, give those people some props. And also, 
if you were in traffic on 40 yesterday coming from Wake County area, a couple of people lost their lives in that wreck that caused all that traffic. So um, realize it's a blessing to get up every day. It's a blessing for us to be able to do it for you. It's a blessing to be able to go to games, watch games, and then talk about it in however way you see fit. Shout out to Congruity and Johnny T-Shirt. Shout out to Buck and Jason for listening to me ramble. And shout out, most importantly, to the 600, almost 700 folks that joined us here in the live chat. It's all about you guys. Thanks, Buck and Jason. Thank you, guys. Later. Thanks, everybody. Hey everybody, John Stewart here. I am here to tell you about my new podcast, The Weekly Show, coming out every Thursday. We're going to be talking about the uh, election, earnings calls. What are they talking about on these earnings calls? We're going to be talking about ingredient to bread ratio on sandwiches. I know you have a lot of options as far as podcasts go, but how many of them come out on Thursday? Listen to The Weekly Show with John Stewart on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.